Right. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time it is you're uh, you're listening. Welcome to another episode of Naughty by Nurture, a podcast made made by uh, marketers for marketers, but first and foremost for genuine people. Because uh, I believe marketers are genuine people. Um, I'm Gavin Logeny, global head of uh, content at Dot Digital, and I'm always saying to clients or pretty much anyone who will listen that uh, there's someone on the other end of the email that you're sending or the text message you're sending, whatever it is, and you've got to get to know them much better. You've got to get to know them better because after all, if you don't know your customers, you can't give them what, uh, what they want. So this is the, the whole sort of concept of this uh, this podcast. I've met weird and wonderful people across the ecosystem, and I asked them to sit with me for a little bit and chew the fat and talk about some uh, some topics, and hopefully you guys will take something away from it. Even if you don't, hopefully you'll just get a bit of a laugh. I don't know, maybe, possibly. Um, but I have met some weird and wonderful people, and uh, today I have two very weird and wonderful people <laughs> hope you, i can say that right that's that's okay for me to say about both of you right yeah uh it's okay and it's true yeah okay good 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 that's uh, that's a good thing we're all we're off to a, to a good start there um so um first off i'm going to introduce uh matthew smith an entrepreneur ceo and founder of really good emails and um I knew from when we first met that uh, this would be good so uh so matthew don't don't disappoint me <laughs> make, make this good <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best I'll, I'll do my best yeah yeah that's right um yeah it's it's good to be here gavin and uh i'm just i'm psyched to be able to be on the show with you and to reconnect man uh meeting over there uh in europe was just a ton of fun and uh really enjoying speaking together and all that kind of stuff so it's fun to be here today um with me Today is uh, Mike Nelson, my co-founder at Really Good Emails, and uh, somebody who, over the last you know eight years, has become one of my really good friends, which is uh, unusual sometimes in business. Sometimes business can chip away at your soul, but Mike and I have managed to stay really close friends, and even even get closer uh, over time. So not in that uh, way, though. So, well, dude, it's gonna happen eventually. Like that's you got time, right? It could still happen. It could still happen. We never know. Don't fight it. Mike can be a little re- reserved, but I like to just, you know, not give up hope that one day <laughs> one of these long lingering hugs that I give him will turn into something more. <laughs> that's. I think that's all we're waiting for, really, isn't it? A, a long lingering hug to turn into something more. <laughs> yeah. yeah you never know. What, what have I let myself in for? Um, Mike, lovely to have you here. Hey man, I'm I'm excited. Good. I'm I'm glad you're here. Hopefully, hopefully you you can balance out Matthew. I, I, well, actually, no. I'm I'm a bit worried about both of you. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> but this will be good. This will be good. Um, I'm, I'm I'm glad both of you are here. Um, and I'm sure you've both got lots of good stories. We'll try and keep it. I was going to say PG thirteen, but do we really need to? I don't. I don't know. Um, so, as I said at the the top, I like to get to know my guests a little bit better because this is what it's all about. You know, if you know people better, you you can you can connect with them better. So, um, why don't you tell the listeners? <laughs> oh God, I'm worried about this. Why don't you tell the listeners um, a little something either interesting or embarrassing about yourself? And um, actually, Mike, I'm going to let you go first. 
<laughs> oh man, I mean, there's every day is embarrassing for me, but uh, the one that tops the cake, uh, if you will, was uh, I thought it was super cool until I look back at it and like a little cringy. Uh, I don't know how much of the audience is American or British or Zimbabwean or um, Croatian. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you hit. I don't know where you're, you know, you're spiking with this podcast. Um, everywhere. Everywhere. That's good. So uh, if, you, if, if you're familiar with American Idol, there was uh, on the second season, there was someone named Clay Aiken who lost to this guy named Ruben and, you know, has red, red, red hair. Everyone loved him. I ended up being his backup singer for one of his concerts. <laughs> Stop. And uh, this, is, this is like, you know, this is before my days of e- email marketing. This is when I thought I was going to be like a big, you know, in the music industry, make it big. And then I realized I'm, I suck at all of that. But I did make it on stage with Clay Aiken for at least five concerts, uh, which I totally regret. Uh, but that would be probably the most embarrassing um, thing about me. So no way i mean i'm gonna need some proof i'm gonna need some proof <laughs> i will find it for you just i need some video footage 100 mm-hmm. and i actually remember that was ruben stoddard right that was yeah. that was the same year yeah so, okay uh uh-huh. okay yeah yeah wow that I, I mean you don't you don't look at someone and go oh they're a singer but you could you could hold a tune then right i i used to i haven't probably sang in like 10 years since i disabandoned the uh or abandoned not disabandoned is not a word but abandoned my hopes of making it big one day so i think the word is abandonated that's the english not, vernacular. Not, not even in the shower you don't sing the sh- you must you must sing you must sing uh no man i haven't i haven't sang for a really long time so okay, Dude, you need to start singing when you showerify yourself. Showerify, just <laughs> shower. When I just shower, I will sing. So, how many new words can we make up? I think that's what we're looking for today. Um, I, I, I well, I, we're solved now. Next time we meet each other, we're going to karaoke. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Sold, sold. Okay, um, Mr. Smith, please top that. If you can, I've got two, two stories for you. Um, both are from when I was a child. So everything since then was embarrassing, but in like the really horrible way. So I'm not going to tell those stories. But um, when I was, um, when I was nine years old, my mom made me do a profit and loss statement on my first lemonade stand. <laughs> and, and I owed her money. So, you know, she rented the table to me, rented the pitcher you know, rented the chair that I had to sit on. Uh, I had to cost out the uh, lemonade powder, um, you know, all that junk. And yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It taught me a lot, right? Um, I learned one that I never, ever want to work in a spreadsheet ever again. And that's been true, which is why I found a co-founder like Mike who loves spreadsheets. And I also in that time learned, you know, that I'm, I'm a designer uh, and I, I much prefer like the creative stuff and, you know, uh, never again sold lemonade, thank God. But, um, you know, my parents were better managers than they were parents. So I got a lot of good <laughs> business um, protocol, business ideas and a lot of shitty parenting, but I love them. 
Um, and then <laughs> the other you. story, the most embarrassing wait, wait, wait. story. Wait, wait, how much did you owe your parents? Like $150? Like, did your mom what, what like, the hike hell up the kind rates? of lemonade are you? Dude, fancy no, lemonade. This, this lemonade didn't have like gold leaf in it, <laughs> it was powdered lemonade. But my, I mean, this is how far my mom went. She actually said, now, Matt, Matt, at the time I went by Matt, she had said, Matt, the water actually does cost money. And so once <laughs> one, um, a one month bill for the water at our household is, you know, $58. And, you know, that accounts, for, and my mom and dad are really into water and like um, water right, rights negotiation, canal modernization. It's like super nerdy watershed. But so my mom actually like extrapolated out down to that I really would owe about like 26 cents in water. But she said, but I'm just going to give that to you for free. <laughs> so my mom, she's like, she's dialed in, man. She knows what she's doing. And this is what she did for a living. So this is how she was figuring out how to make it work for me. Um, what it taught me is like, if I want to make money, I've got to figure out uh, ways that are strong enough uh, margins that I don't have to think about that shit. I can just go. So that's what I tried to work on the rest of my life. But the embarrassing story is that I was uh, I was about four years old and I was driving with my grandparents. I was in the back seat with my grandmother and we were going uh, up to my grandparents' cabin and we were going over these big hills that would sort of, you know, my granddad's driving probably about 50 miles an hour and then you would just suddenly go down the hill quite quickly and it would hit you right in the gut, you know, that feeling. And I looked over, apparently, my grandmother tells this story. In fact, she would tell it regularly up until the day she died. But she tells this story that I looked over at her and I was holding my stomach and I said, whoa, grandmother, does that make your penis tickle? And uh, <laughs> so I don't think I understood anatomy very well. I've, I've since learned, you know, it doesn't work that way. But, um, uh, <laughs> might, you know, it might, I mean, for certain people, that's like true. little, little drops like that could, could make your penis tingle. I don't know. Well, but I'm saying like, I, I doubt that like a drop like that would make somebody grow a penis that they didn't have. I, I mean, I could <laughs> I mean, be wrong. Yeah, that's, that's also something. Yeah. That's, uh, you never know, but that was, I was a good one. So my, she actually, when I was married, she told, um, that story at my rehearsal dinner that was pretty impressive so <laughs> kind of wild probably the most embarrassed i've been other than but, pole dancing but that's a different but, story oh wow that's for another podcast ladies and gentlemen um no I, i've never pole danced but i like to joke about it that's that's i mean that's not true i can i can actually i can actually see mike <laughs> singing i can see mike singing as you're pole dancing next to him Oh my gosh! I think this I might think be. I'm imagining next like a nice, uh, like what's his name, Chris Farley on a Saturday Night Live with um, <laughs> with Chippendales, where I'm the much overweight oh one God, yes. with. <laughs> so this this could go somewhere very different. Yep. Um, thank you. That I mean that was um that was brilliant. Um, so, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's slide into something else a little bit more, uh, professional maybe. So I've got you, you both here to, to talk through a topic. And I, I thought when, uh, when we did meet each other in, it was a dense, wasn't it? A dense in, uh, in Denmark. Yeah. 
you guys you guys did a a presentation on on essentially design right from a from a really good emails perspective and i thought it'd be great to get you to talk a little bit more about design and and i think that's one of the things that um that people do kind of struggle with when it comes to to their emails you know in some cases they just want to get them out the door so they look pretty 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 dire but I think, you know, design really does help things connect together. And someone the other day was actually asking me, you know, if we had any content that was specifically on improving click-through rate. And I was like, well, no, we don't We don't have anything specifically on that. But there's so many other bits and pieces that help to improve click-through rate. And, I, you know, good design is, is one of them as well. So I wanted to uh, to really chew the fat with you guys on this one and, and uh, you know, poke you and uh, see uh, see if we can see what's inside your brains and if that will help people so yeah. uh design why is it why is it important for you guys let's just start with this yeah. is a really good concept for a podcast design oh. a very very visual <laughs> channel that we're going through here <laughs> well no this first is i'm gonna to draw this. a square <laughs> then i'm going to bisect the square <laughs> with a line oh you're killing me you're killing me so like, you know, um, we, should, we should have had I a visual actually, element to this i actually did this in college um you know who bob ross is with the big afro and yes. the um, you know painting happy trees and stuff so yeah. my thesis project in college was to uh take the visuals out of that show and then write all, everything that he said write it down on a wall where you could read it and then you were listening to it and that that experience would be actually far different than actually seeing his paintings. So anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Um, so design, um, the, the talk in Odense was primarily around some of the, uh, trends that are happening, uh, in design to take a broader lens on design and to think about design's role in what I like to really think of as communication to customers. So, you know, we talk about email all the time, but, Mm -hmm. you know, email is a relatively new concept in the sense that it hasn't been around for a hundred years. And in a hundred years, something else will be in its place. But communication with customers has been around since, uh, you know, the dawn of trade, right? And that's not going anywhere. And so really why do you need design? Why do you need brand? Why do you need aesthetic in your communication with customers? Well, my way of thinking about this is that content is absolutely, you know, champion. You you need content to, to be the essence of your communication, but how you present that content or what words you choose for that content and the feelings that you create through presenting that content that is what design gets to do so if if for instance you're you are hiring uh somebody to come and do uh some handiwork at your house and two women show up one candidate has stains all over her shirt and um her clothing is ripped up and she uh has terrible bo and she has her tools with her but she's just kind of looking at you like, what, what do you want? And then the other person has a uniform and they have their tool belt ready to go. They have a nice polo, you know, with a logo badge and a nice hat and they're clean and they smell good and they've got their little clipboard ready to go. 
who are you going to hire? Well, you don't, you don't know anything about these people other than those two things. Sure. All the signals of our personal experience say to hire the person with, you know, the, the more well-kept, you know, uh, outer experience or outer presentation. And these, this is psychology. We know this. Our brains are actually developed, you know, over a millennia to many millennia to, to look for those signals and think about that as safety. And then we can attribute those even further. Like it's even, there's studies that show that attractiveness in people, yeah. um, when we see attractiveness, we actually attribute other characteristics to them, like trustworthiness success. or success. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so this is the same with design. If your design communicates uh, an aesthetic appreciation, if it's um, something that uh, aligns with your values, so it doesn't have to be something that's always clean. If your brand is meant to be rugged and edgy, if you're like a punk band or, you know, if your expression is something that is closer to being a renegade brand, then you don't want to be clean, but you need to be authentic to your audience. It needs to feel appropriate. Sure. Yeah. That's design. But, but I mean, so it's funny, as you were telling that, that little, little sort of story there, I was thinking to myself, I'd, I'd almost lean towards the the one that's a little bit unkept in this particular situation if someone's coming to sort of design you know not design but paint my, my place if i can see that they've they're kind of weathered you know they've actually done the work they've they've done stuff before whereas someone who's very clean cut maybe i'm thinking well how much work have you done before are you actually going to be any good is this your first job um in design so it's kind of like horses for courses and i i, I use that term a lot but it leads me to think about something and maybe, maybe Mike, I'll throw this to you is design just subjective because you know, the, the story that Matthew just told us there, you, you can have two, two views on this, right? Uh, well, first of all, I was thinking of um, like an experience where Michael Scott from the office had, had so you close your eyes and you see these two people and then you open them and then you see that like one of them's from like Princeton and it's like, boom, in your face, you got it wrong. I thought that, that that's where we were going to go with this. Um, but, uh, you know, there's this, uh, really important, um, writer, her name's Lyra Borodsky, I think is her last name. She talks about intentional design and intentional uh, language specifically Mm -hmm. and how the words you use can really influence the outcomes of something. And examples include the titles of YouTube videos and how many clicks and views they get and clickbait and the outcomes of those, um, there, there's a lot of research on the intention of that experience. The way that you you form that experience is is to whatever outcome you want. So this this individual who's highly well kept, um, you probably are expecting a very organized outcome, right? She may be it, it, like you said, it might be her first job, but she'll with the with the checkbox marker and you know the way that she looks and all that kind of stuff you probably think she'll probably arrive on time when she comes back she'll probably have all the costs uh, analyzed very well and then the other individual might be a little more messy but might have a little bit more experience so she might take a little less time that's what probably what you're going back and forth in your mind right now and we can think about you know email because that's what we're talking about specifically or or sms or uh, just general marketing messaging that experience is really intentionally designed for the outcome that you want. 
And so when you don't give intention to your design, you're not giving an, an intentional outcome for what you want. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally get that. But it, but it is, I don't know. It's, it, it, it does, it does kind of come back to me again with this subjectiveness of, of design because you know, when I, when I think of you guys, really good emails and I, and I, I'm not a designer. I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a designer at all, but I, I reckon I've got an eye for things, but that's my eye. Is it going to be the same for other people? Is, is design truly just subjective is, or is it, is it just left down to actual sort of you know, points that you have to hit to, to make sure you're, you're, you're ticking the box for the masses? There's always going to be some subjectivity toward anything that is human, right? But we also have common human experiences. So if I say chair, you don't see a picture of a zebra in your head, right? Like that's, that's not purely subjective. I mean, maybe you, Gavin, do, <laughs> which would explain a lot. But, you know, like um, th- there are, there's some commonality. But the picture of a chair that Mike and Gavin and I all see in our mind's eye is likely a little different, right? But it generally probably has four legs, a back, and you sit on it. Sure. And so when, when, when we think about, you know, the utilization of design, you have to keep in mind trends. You have to keep in mind your audience. You have to think about what they've been exposed to and so on and so forth. So for instance, some people would look at Craigslist, which, you know, I, I don't know if Gavin, if you know what it is, but you know, at least yeah. for our American audience, you know, it's, um, you know, a, a listing, um, you know, like a sale listing, uh, for classifieds and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people would look at Craigslist and say, Oh man, what a piece of shit, like that, that terrible design. But on the other hand, it actually just works consistently yeah. and gets the job done. So there's some subjectivity around, um, like no one would ever look at at um, Craigslist and say, "Wow, that's a really deluxe, finessed. Um, it speaks of luxury." No, that would be false. That's not that's not open to interpretation, sure. right? So, but you can look at you can look at something like Craigslist and say it's successful, and mm-hmm. and that like successful for what they're trying to achieve you know, that they've used enough design, which was the layout, the use of colors, hierarchy, some of those things to achieve a, a sense that the site works, but it's not expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But you see, this is, this is actually, it's something else I would, I would like to love to sort of get into a little bit more. So there's, that's like form and function there, you know, you, you have a, have a good balance there, but ultimately you want to, to have enough function in there that you get the job done. And ultimately you have a goal and that goal is to, to, I guess, sell your wares, wherever that is. It might be to get to get someone to buy something specifically or to donate or to download something, but that is what the function is, is there for. And on the website, a hundred percent, you need to, 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 to make that. So in an email, what I want to sort of get into is you can have that sort of form and function, but do you want to go overboard and have something that's, you know, really ornately designed because people shouldn't really be spending a huge amount of time in the email. Ideally you want them to get the email, get the point straight away and drive to the website so they can do what they need Uh to do. Um, 
should we should we spend the time to make our emails beautiful or should they just be all about function get them in get in get on get out sort of thing yeah my <laughs> good answer my my take yeah okay next question um my my take is something like this is you have to decide what's appropriate for your brand so if your audience has a high demand for aesthetic like it would not make sense for apple to be sending text-based emails that would be inappropriate sure you know they they shouldn't be doing that but they also like a big brand like that you don't have to make every single email some sort of massive event to create it utilizing design systems for instance is a way of investing up front in the materials you need to make consistent aesthetically appropriate designs you know, relatively straightforward. So, you know, a quick Google of design systems and you'll learn how those are being used in product design. It's not, it's not a stretch to see how they could be used in uh, email design and development. But how do you find that, that balance though? Because uh, you're quite right. Um, Apple, they need to, you know, keep, keep up the standards basically. But how does a, how does a brand um, find their way in, in, you know, presenting something that is just right or, you know, going the extra mile and having something that is, that is really nicely designed. Does it, you know, cause it's going to take some time. How do you find that balance and understanding when you need to really ramp it up to 11 versus, you know, you can get by with just a, a six or a seven. Mike, you're the budget guy. Why don't you answer that one? <laughs> the budget guy. <laughs> uh, well, so if you think about basics here, right? What's the basic function you have? And then you, and then your, I guess your question is, when do you need glam it up? And so the basic function is that there has to be a hierarchy. So if you just had a text-based email that's like, hey, Gavin, I'm really excited that you're a customer of ours. Thanks for all that you do. By the way, we have a sale. Love, Mike. Like, and there's no links, there's no color, there's nothing for you, for you visually to understand where to click. You can be like, cool, there's a sale, but I have no idea what, you know, what's going on in that sale. There's not enough context there. Like that is below a base, right? So in, in some sense, you have to be able to introduce something, reinforce it and have a CTA. And the CTA has to be visually appealing. So somebody knows that they need to click on that item to get to wherever they're going. To me, that's basic 101, right? Sure. Uh, where, you know, Matthew's world, uh, you know, lives in is um, how to make that a little bit more beautiful so that you get a, a, a better outcome so that people are drawn to that call to action a little bit more, that they're reinforced in that incentive uh, for whatever the email is for. And so when you think about, you know, adding pizzazz to whatever you're doing, you can make emails stand out just be by being a little bit different than you had been in the past. People are going to become accustomed to the cadence that you're sending them. So if you're sending them an email every single day that looks all the same and then boom on Friday, it looks very different. They're going to stop and pay attention to it. And so if you've got a product launch, if you've got an announcement, a new, uh, a new line of something, new pricing, you know, those probably warrant a different type of design that still stay within your, your design system and don't break the mold of breaking your brand too much, but that get them to pause and be like, oh, this is very different than how they usually message to me or communicate to me. So I need to, I need to take a little bit more attention to what this is. 
Sure, sure. But is there is there a case of running the risk of if if your design is is too basic, and then you you hit every now and then with something a little bit extra? Is there is there a case that you're running the risk that they see these run of the mill emails and they just become you know desensitized? They sort of turn off. And what is the term I like? Oh, they they're, they're like emotionally unsubscribed. So they they don't even unsubscribe. They just seen your emails. They're a bit drab, and they go, "This is not for me." So you know they they kind of leave it. Do you, do you have to add, and I like pizzazz, you added pizzazz there. Do you have to add a little bit of pizzazz all the way through just to keep them interested enough so that you can hit them with the, the big stuff a little bit later? I don't think so. I mean, it all comes down to communication style. And so if your reader is getting what they need out of it, uh, and you can see that through uh, your engagement rates. So if people are unsubscribing or they're not clicking through or um, you're... You have a control group of people who get your your emails and you check to see how many times they've they've ordered. Maybe that's you know foot traffic or whatever. If those don't line up, then you're doing something wrong. And so I'd go back to that 101. What's the basics? Are you is there a incentive, incentive there good enough? Okay, how's how do you add additional elements that to to draw their attention more to the items that they need? So that's that's kind of like 101. And then copy is like you know we don't talk about copy a, a lot through like good emails. Uh, until we find a you know kick-ass copywriter who loves to talk about those kind of things, but your your brand includes your voice, and so mm-hmm. if they are emotionally checked out, it probably means that you are not doing enough to uh, excite them through the words or or other things uh, to bring back the relationship of why they found you in the first place and and nurture kind of that feeling as they continue with that communication. Yeah, one hundred percent. You can't see this is really bad for a podcast, but I am. I was nodding away as you were saying that there needs to be a really good synergy between the the words and the the design. And I, Matthew was saying that kind of before, but it's so true. All of those those pieces kind of connect really nicely together. Um, and if you can nail that, then you you've really got something. Um, and yeah, I, I love that sort of view on things. That's why I think it's really important for design teams to work with the copywriters. If you've got a good relationship between the two of them, then I think you're onto you're onto yeah you're onto a winner. But with that in mind, um, and I I, I I love you guys. When I, when I first met you, Matthew, I don't know if you realized I didn't know who you, who you were. And then you were like, oh yeah, you know, I you know a founder of really good emails. I was like, oh my god, I'm a fanboy. But then it got me thinking. Yeah, I think you thought I was a homeless guy asking for a little I, bit of spare change. I, I did. I was about to say to you, I don't have any spare chains. I'm really sorry. <laughs> it was the hat that did it. <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking to myself, um, what makes a really good email? And there were some bits and pieces that I saw in your presentation uh, on, on, on the day. But just in general, what what makes a really good email? I mean, you were talking about um, I think there was there was a trend of like what was a inverted pyramids, right? Was, was am, I, am I getting that right, or am I completely and, off the uh, mark there? Arches as well. Arches, yeah. What 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 makes a really good email? Again, this is probably like more subjective stuff, but just arches. If you have arches, it's usually <laughs> just that's all you need. <laughs> you know, I think the things that for me, you you've got to go back to the absolute foundation, right? is is the communication the actual language in the email is it doing the job that the individual hired it to do when they subscribed to your 
newsletter or to your product. And so, you know, you can break that down then into is the subject line and preheader doing the job that they need to be doing to provide the value necessary to let the customer know, I should click this. I want to click this. I want to see what's inside. Or, you know, quite frankly, oh, this one I don't want to read. I don't want to un- unsubscribe yet, but I don't want to read this one. That's a value to the customer. You just saved them time. Sure. Well, well done, right? Yeah. Now, you know, obviously you want to be able to get as much click through as possible. So you need to change your next email to be more appropriate to them as often as possible. But, you know, if you're, if you're meeting that request from the customer for the information to be valuable, that's a really good email. Now, the next part comes in with what is valuable. You know, is it valuable because it's personalized? Is it valuable because it's easy to read? It's easy to scan? It's mobile friendly because, you know, it scales reasonably. Is it really good because it's got a quality of the brand pulled in? Is it really good um, because it is attending to my particular needs rather than everybody's needs who's a customer? There's there's so many different attributes. But I think, you know, generally for us, we're going to be looking at, is it meeting the objectives that somebody signed up for? Is it easy to read and scan? Is it enticing or emotionally engaging in any way? And is it accessible? Like, is the contrast appropriate? Is the type size, you know, large enough for mobile and desktop? Um, We look at, you know, what's the image to text ratio? If it's got too many images per text, that that's a big um, markdown. Is that is that still a thing? I remember that just yeah, image to text ratio. That's that's been like the age old sort of debate, basically image to text ratio. How do you get that right? Um, I'm not as as adept at deliverability and and speaking to it from that perspective, but from an accessibility per- standpoint, you know, images in email can be something that I would expect with the rise of accessibility that we'll start seeing in the same way that in 10, 15 years ago, we saw huge uh, corporate sites like Target getting sued about their accessibility. I think we'll start to see those same issues come into email and messaging. And so, you know, to stay healthy as a business and to make sure that you're doing right as a business, you know, maintaining as much accessibility as you can is appropriate. Mike, what's your experience with text-to-image ratio? Um, Mostly text-to-image really is important if the text is baked into the image. Again, because if you have images turned off or um, somebody can't see that well or um, they're scanning it, it, it's really hard to read. And so we we look for live text or HTML text uh, so that like if you're searching for something you know, comes up, or if you have translation on, you can, somebody can go from Spanish to English or English to Spanish and make that email even better than what it would have been if it was baked into the image. And then if you have just like a hella long email, that's just images, your load time's going to suck. Um, and there's a, a few more things that's going to hurt you there. So we look at, you know, generally you can, you can have a lot of images, but they just need to be optimized. And, um, the site file size needs to be, uh, cut down a little bit. Yeah. 
No, I, I I hear you on those. I mean, yeah, accessibility is 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 key, and it it, it gets me thinking about. Um, we did we did a bit of a um, a report on you know how to be a responsible marketer, and there's so much in that now to to be a responsible marketer, and uh, I think you know taking into account accessibility is is definitely one of those. But in order to to deliver the right thing for the right person, you need to be thinking of the data as well, and I think. This is something that sometimes is forgotten when we're looking at design is using the data to help you sort of navigate and, and deliver the, the, the right thing for the right person. So, you know, how, how, how often do you guys think about the, the data behind the actual creative? Because if you know that you've got a certain percentage, I guess, of your audience who have accessibility issues, then that's going to drive your design. Do, do you even think about that data first or is it is it more of a just feel your way and and um and you sort of find out uh, along the the way with um with engagement um over 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 the time ascending you're not going to get the same result as somebody else just by copying them right right so just because an email is beautiful doesn't mean that you're going to have a 50 percent increase in you know click through rate it all comes back to that communication and um the ability you have for just being clear and being prompt and all you know being personalized and all that kind of stuff will all add into how those emails perform mm-hmm. what you know we think when we when we display a really good email is you know does this check all the boxes and can you move your own communication style to something similar or can you get an idea from this so maybe it's not the entire email but maybe it's a module inside that email that really sparks some creativity and some inspiration. Maybe it's the color palette. Maybe it's the way that they've worded something. There's a lot of elements that you can grab for yourself and clone them for your own uses. But when it comes down to like, well, I copied this one for one and I, I still didn't perform well. It's not because the email initially was a good or good looking or bad looking. It's probably coming down to just the reputation you have with your readers at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I mean, I, I'm just thinking of, of, of bits and pieces that that people can sort of take away and and, and use today. Is there is there anything, I know, Matthew? You said arches. I mean, you, you got to have arches in your emails. But is there anything in particular now that's like a, a trend that people should definitely think about incorporating into into their design? I we did a, a previous episode on you know bits and pieces like dark mode. Uh, making sure you're considering that, but is there anything in particular you'd say, yeah, you need to be thinking about this or including this in at least some of your 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 emails going forward? I think, from my perspective, I'm going to go as far as saying 75 percent of emails haven't even figured out how to properly do their typography so their emails are easy to read, Oof. and so until they figure that out which is not that much work. It just takes doing some design understanding and getting into, you know, figuring out the right um, uh, hierarchy, the right contrast, looking at, you know, good examples of typography. Once they figure that out, then it's cool. Go start looking at trends. Like if you, like, honestly, fuck dark mode. If you can't figure out light mode, like the the uh, n- the number of people that are starting to try and figure out all these like next things that they want to do when they just haven't figured out how to take their content and make it readable that's on the design side even further back than that 
is your content itself. Many emails are boring as hell. Yeah. And they're not really serving the needs of their audience. And so, you know, we obviously really good emails is very design focused. But if your content isn't really up to standards to begin with, like those are the things that you should be really assessing first. Once you get those things in line, then start looking at like bold use of colors, look at opportunities for interaction within email that really can add like small moments of delight. Sure. You know, look at, look at ways of utilizing gifts or um, motion to create mm-hmm. a little bit of attention. So imagine for instance, if you're looking at like currently I'm holding up two hands, like right? both of my hands. And if I'm holding them both up, but one of them I'm moving a little bit, which one are you paying attention to? The one that's moving. Yeah. So if you add just a little bit of motion to specific parts of your email through a GIF that loops, you can really get some nice attention. A little too much information or too much motion and it's annoying. So things like that, fun to go after, but not until you've actually mastered the basics. Yeah. I love that. I love that typography. I mean, I don't don't think it's something that a lot of people think about first off, but you, you're so right. There's the, the the content in your emails. If you can't even read them, then then you failed at the first hurdle, right? Exactly. That's it's yeah. It's a brilliant point. We also went, uh, touched on this in, in Denmark as we were pontificating on all the trends. Oof, yeah, nice. And the, that's a that's a wordle word for you to, for the day. And um. I really would enjoy you pontickling me later. Oh, Mike. no. Uh, so anyways. Just, just <laughs> as we have that extra long hug. Yeah. The, um, as, as, I, as I was reviewing a lot of these emails, one thing that I saw over and over again, which I think is an amazing thing and more people should be doing it, is just asking their readers to reply or to give feedback. And once you do that, you have this like one-on-one relationship with an individual. And yeah, I know there's a lot of customer service issues that come with that and not issues, but strain on people responding to these people. But um, anything that you can do to draw out an emotion where they want to reply and do so and spend their time just giving you feedback. Whereas like, you know what, that email sucked today, but I appreciate what you guys are doing. Or, you know, this this really jived with me and hit a chord. And I, I really appreciate, you know, the time you spent doing X, Y, Z or, or personalizing this to me in some manner, like that can go not just only like so far with you, but that person becomes like a word of mouth ambassador for your brand. Yes. And so if they can respond, if you, you just say like, Hey, respond to me and I'll write back. Like the second they do that, you're in, you're in with that individual. And so it's, again, going back from like this mass to individual kind of marketing, you always want to hit the individual as much as you can. And so that's one thing I think more people can do is just ask for a reply or um, be very intentional in getting those individuals to, to give feedback because that's going to give you a really good outcome. I absolutely love that. And I, I, I cannot sort of applaud you more for, for saying that because we, as I said at the beginning, you know, we, we often forget there's someone on the other end of that email they're receiving, you know, and because we're sending out so many in, in, in one fell swoop, you know, hit a button and we send millions in one go, we forget there's people on the other end, but there's so much value in having someone reply. Email is a two way communication tool. 
and we do forget that in in our in our, our day to days because of because of how many we're sending out. But there's so much value in that having someone reply and tell you something, and that can be the that, that sort of guiding light for your design, for your copy, whatever it is, to to drive your brand forward. So uh, yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you. I actually think that's a that's a good place for us to kind of wrap up the meat of this uh, of this podcast and. And now I can get you to, uh, I, yeah, I was going to say pontificate, but no, no, it's it's not. I'm just not. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just going to ask you straight up. This is this is probably my favorite part of the the podcast now because I'm going to ask you to um, give me a track each, or an artist. You know, I'll pick out a song from them, and we're gonna we're gonna add this to the um, to the playlist. Um, I feel like Mike, you, you're going to have to 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 say yourself, and we'll we'll find a track of your own, and then we'll, we can add it to the playlist, right? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I can go. What do you? What? What is this? Anything? Like, can I go like death metal screamo? Can I go to like Mozart? What are we looking for here? The, the, anything. I mean, the whole point of this now is, as I said, you know, we get to know people better, better, and um, you know we can learn a lot from you by the the track that you give me to uh, to add to the playlist so it it can be as wild and as wonderful as 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 you like or you know something that that um you know is middle of the road but it's entirely up to you but the fact that you said death metal straight away <laughs> is, is is sort of leading i think it's is leading that that way right uh no I, like definitely not death metal i'm not i've i used to listen to a lot of death metal in my teenage years when teenage angst years i'm more i don't know i'm trying to decide between one i think the new vampire weekend uh album which is kind of old at this point is gold every track on that thing is so good um father of the bride is probably a really good track that most people would recognize if they're into vampire weekend so that's that's the one i'm going to stick with at the moment Vampire Weekend, Father of the Bride. Okay, we can we can that in, add that in there. No, that's that's fine. That's fine. Um, Matthew. So the probably the most of the last year, the band that like that really got me the most uh, is Karangabin. Have you all yes. heard of it? Yes, I'm actually seeing them later this year. Ah, oh, super jealous, man. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, they just they nail it, and it's just such just rich full music and like mm-hmm. the stuff they did with leon bridges just oh, really gets me i've got that on vinyl i um for my for my birthday my my partner she got me a a record player and that was one of the vinyls she got me with uh, leon bridges oh, yeah brilliant man brilliant yeah so yeah like i'm i'm really into them right now um so i've got them on on a bunch of repeat uh-huh yeah I can get down with both of those. In fact, I haven't listened to a Vampire Weekend in a little while, so this is uh, this is going to be my my lead into that. I'm on holiday, so th- they may uh, they may feed into to rotation. The other one I was thinking of uh, is a very slow burn, but it's this, uh, by Mumford and Sons. It's on their last track called Delta. Uh, I think it's like seven minutes long, but like the first half of that song is like, yeah, it's okay. But really, it's just a build up to the last half. In the last half, phenomenal. And if you listen to it all through, it'll make you cry. It's a really good track. That's so funny you said that. And I, it, I'm terrible now because I can't remember who said it. But a guest I had on in a previous episode said the same thing. Oh, for real? They, 
they picked out Delta. Yeah. 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 It's a phenomenal yeah. track. Dude. And wow. it is, it is a phenomenal track. I didn't know it before and I listened to it directly after recording and I was like, wow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, I'll, you guys um, are good with me. Yeah. I'll, I'll send a, uh, Spotify playlist that I, that I've made. I've made a couple that I think are pretty good. So you can share yes, them please. with the audience if you want. I've got to say, right, there's there's one, I mean, there's a couple of rules I have to live by, but one of them is people who share music with you are important. Mm. And that's, I think that's, I think that's really good for me anyway. You know, I think that's, that's brilliant. I, I, I love new stuff and I love being introduced to new stuff. And if anyone can introduce me to something new, then you are okay with me. And that's probably why I do this, this, this part of the podcast as well. But yeah, I appreciate it. Would you say that if the song I told you about or recommended was named like Decomposing Body by uh, a <laughs> <death> metal <laughs> band out of like Sweden? I, like, I mean, Jesus I mean, my hot rod by ministry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a real song. There's, there's niche. Yeah. There's niche. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, something new can be, can be good. It could be liberating. But um, other times I know what my ears like and um, <laughs> it doesn't, to be different doesn't always work. <laughs> Thanks so much, Gavin. No, no, thank you, guys. Thank you for for joining me. It's been been really good, um, and hopefully, I can see you guys again soon. And as I said, Mike, we are definitely going for uh, for karaoke. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going to happen. We're meeting up in May, aren't we? Are we? We're going to be in London in May. So, hundred percent. Yes, I was just thinking that. So, we're going to karaoke. Um, so, so start singing in the shower. Um, yep. Matthew, you can bring your pole and you can dance next to us and, um, <laughs> we can make that happen. Nice carry on. <laughs> exactly. Well, we'd, we'd love to see you and, and anybody else, uh, at any of our upcoming on spam conferences in, mm-hmm. um, Chicago in April, uh, London in May, and then Boston, uh, later in the fall. So, um, please come and join us. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll come up to some, some of the other ones as well, but definitely check out on spam. Um, and I can say, check out the rest of the, uh, the, the podcast series. Um, go back and listen to season one. If you haven't already, we are award winning. Um, so, uh, so definitely check out and check out the, the, the first season, but, um, thank you for listening. There's more to come from uh, naughty by nurture and, uh, hope to, to see you guys soon. Cheers.